Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we'll get started today. If you have your Bibles, get your Bibles ready. Amen. Your first scripture is going to be Matthew chapter 7, if you want to begin turning there. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your presence that has filled the house. And Lord, I pray that you speak to each heart and each mind and each person today. And Lord, I pray you be glorified in the house. Lord, we thank you that you're causing freedom and joy and peace to come to people today. And Lord, we pray that our heart will be open to your word and our ears attentive, Lord. And Father, we just bind any distracting spirit or any spirits of intimidation or fear or doubt or worry. Lord, we break, those, we break those things. What people's going through in life, we break the hold in Jesus' name. We thank you for freedom that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We are in our vision series, and we're learning what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice or a follower of Christ. And how we order our life to where that can be accomplished, we've said, is three things, which is our vision statement at Church on the Rock. Goal one, say it with me, goal one is to be with Jesus. Goal two is to become like Jesus. And goal three is to do what Jesus did. That's the vision of our church on how we apprentice or we are Jesus' disciple. So let's say that together, to be with Jesus. How many think that's important, to be with Jesus to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus said. Followers of Jesus are those who arrange their whole life around those principles as we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How many know that there's a transformation that needs to happen when we go from a carnal state into a spiritual state? Amen. How many say the way you used to do life doesn't work anymore? How many say the way that some of us are still doing life? That's not what the Word teaches us to do life. How many say that it's still a rough road? Amen? The Bible says that the way of a transgressor is hard. So the way of a person that's not walking in God's way, it's a hard path. It's it's a tough path. So we're being formed into something. We're being formed into something It's either intentional or it's intentional. If they'll put the first slide up on the, the unintentional formation is when we just believe stories. Or we've listened to a professor at school or somebody's taught us something that didn't really line up to God's word or what God teaches us, but it kind of formed our opinions and our mindsets. So stories we believe. And then the habits that we, that we have, the routines that we put in our life. How many know that some of our routines aren't positive? Amen? So we have habits and then we have relationships, people that we've grown up around, people that we've lived life with. How many say that some influences that you've ran around with may not have been the best influences, amen? But then the environment that we live in. You know, some people just need a change in environment. We've seen children that that are messed up and disobedient and not doing good in life. Carmen and I could bring them to our home and they would stay with us a month and they seem like a completely opposite child because of the environment that they lived in. So unintentional, you're being formed one way or another. 
You're being formed by your habits, your relationships, your stories, your environments, your stories that you believe. But I believe that discipleship and apprenticeship is when we have intentional spiritual formation. And so what we do is we replace the stories that we believe. We replace them with what? Is this a story or is this the truth? This is the truth, the Word of God. So we replace stories with a teaching from the Word of God. Instead of habits... We put in practices, things that we practice, spiritual disciplines that we practice. And instead of relationships, we have Christian community. You may not realize it, but even that that get stuff party. How many know that that is important for us to be at that? The getting stuff, you may get, that's where you get to rub arms with the brothers and sisters around you outside of Sunday morning. It's so important. How many went to the skate night the other night? I think there was about 200 people there, if I was to guess. So, so how many got to talk to somebody you didn't know? How many got to fellowship with somebody you didn't know? Uh, uh, how many just had fun together? Community is so, so, so important. And I believe that God has called us not to live alone and to live isolated, but to live in community. And instead, I love this, instead of our environment, how many know it's the Holy Spirit that, that forms us? Amen. I can't wait to preach on the Holy Spirit on this series because it is Him, it is His power, it is His influence in our life that causes the change, amen? It's the Holy Spirit that does it, okay? We're all becoming someone or something over a period of of time. Who or what we become like is up to the decisions and the choices that we have. If you were to make a trajectory of where you're going to be at and the person that you want to be in 20 years from now, what would that be? Would that be a person that, that has an unintentional environment that you keep getting worse and worse in the, in the habits and the formation that you have in your, in your personal lives? Or is it going to be something that is a reflection of Jesus? I would like to think that I'm going to grow into a person that's going to be like Jesus. How many know that has to be intentional? Amen. We're growing someone that's free from anxiety, free from depression, free from fear. Someone that has power over the enemy, power over evil. Someone that's mastered and they've overcome habits that have kicked your tail since the minute you became a Christian. Someone who who has true love and kindness and compassion and sympathy and empathy for people around them. Someone who lives doesn't read the Sermon of the Mount, but they live the Sermon of the Mount. That's someone that says if, if somebody does you wrong, you're like, of course I love my enemies. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Of course I'm a generous and a radical giver. Am I supposed to keep all my wealth and keep all my money and just use it on myself? See, that's a person that's been transformed into kingdom thinking. Amen. When Jesus came, he came preaching the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is accessible. The kingdom of God is near you. He came and he changed the world's thinking and the world's views and the world's stories and the world's habits and the world's environment. And he said, there's a new king. There's a new order. There's a new way of thinking. There's a new environment. There's a, there's a new person called the Holy Spirit. So he said, of course, I live free from anxiety and worry. Of course, I forgive people. How many of you today are, are walking around with people you haven't talked to in years? Haven't practiced the Sermon on the Mount? And you can say, oh, you don't know what's happened, Pastor. Well, you don't know what happened to Jesus. And Jesus said, forgive as you want to be forgiven. 
Jesus says not only do you forgive seven times a day, he said you forgive 70 times seven, 70 times seven forgiveness a day. So that's where we move into how you feel and what you think and what you want to do till you take the teachings of God and you practice them and you practice them in community with accountability and faithfulness of people that will get in your face and say, that's wrong the way you're thinking. That's, wrong. that's not a God-set mind. You need to change on that. That's what you get in community. And then you got the Holy Spirit putting it all together where He's dealing with you and changing you all the time. I can't wait to preach on the Holy Spirit. Did I say that yet? I can't wait to preach on the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in this spiritual formation. Spiritual formation in a Christian tradition. Dallas Willard said this. Spiritual formation in a Christian transition. In fact, those Graphs you saw, That's, that graph came from a church called Bridgetown, if you need to know that. But spiritual formation in a Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. As we walk in the easy yoke, what's yoke? What's yoke? You guys remember I taught you this, what's yoke? Teaching. Teaching, yoke, when you see my yoke is easy, coming to me, all ye that are what? Heavy laden and burdened down. That's in Matthew chapter 11. Take my, take my what? So what's that saying? Take my what? Take my teachings. Get rid of your stories. Get rid of how you feel. Get rid of what people's told you. Get rid of the Job comforters that tell you what you want to hear. And go to the word of God. And the word of God is his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. In him you will find rest and peace for your weary heart and mind. I believe in that. But you're, 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 Dallas Willard said that. Last week we taught on the teaching piece. This week we're going to take a look at practice. Teachings are great, but listen to this. You can't thank your way to Christ's likeness. Because what you love has a far greater effect on you than what you do. There isn't an issue with what we know. We have to actually live it. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news about Jesus Christ. Our problem isn't knowledge. We have plenty of knowledge. We know what we need to know. Our problem is doing it. And John Mark Comer of this Bridgetown church, he says this. Information transfer alone is not enough for transformation. Information transfer alone is not enough for transformation. Because knowing something is not the same as doing it. Which is still not the same as wanting to do it. How many of you want to do it? How many of you are ever live in Romans chapter 7 where you say, oh, the good that I want to do, I can't do. And the evil that I hate to do, I do. Lord, I delight in your word on the inside man. But on the outside man, there's another law. There's another member. And I feel like I'm pulled like a rag doll. I can't figure out which way was what. The things I don't want to do, I'm doing them. The things I hate to do, I'm doing them. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? He said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? How many ever felt like you were living in a body of death? You just can't get it together. You can't put it together. You know what to do, but you can't seem to do what you know. Our problem isn't knowledge. There's a massive gap between what we know and what we do. And there's even another part of what we want to do. 
Man, that one, I really relate. The problem isn't knowing. The problem is knowing and doing what we know. What we love in our heart. Write this down. What we love in our heart. What we love in our heart. And I think this came from John Mark Comer. What we love in our heart has a far greater influence on what we do than what we know in our head. What we love in our heart has a far greater influence on what we do than what we know in our head. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit say, Brian, I wouldn't do that if I was you? How many's ever heard that? Brian wouldn't do that if I was you. And then I hear him, and I know I shouldn't do what I do. But what I do, I do it anyway. Then you say what? Boy, I wished I wouldn't have what? Come on, you all. Don't look at me like that. You don't do that. Amen? What we love in our heart is far more greater than what we do than what we know in our head. My problem, Brian's problem, Pastor Brian's problem is not knowledge. I'm well aware of my choices I make. Everybody acts like sin's just something you fall into. That's pathetic. I just kind of fell into it. Get real, man. You chose it. You got everybody. Oh, I couldn't. It happened so fast I couldn't stop it. I got some words running through my mind, but I'm a country boy, and I'll just stay with hogwash. 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 It just took me by surprise. Hogwash. You got plenty of time to change your mind. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that, in the, that everyone is tempted. Everyone has temptation. But it says God will always make a what? A way of escape. Look at that Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. When you hear Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And what that is, it's a collection of some teachings. I think they're the most powerful teachings. I pray the Beatitudes every day. Blessed, the blesseds, happy are you, Macarius, happy are you. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know the blesseds. Okay, therefore, therefore, keep in mind, this is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just taught the Sermon on the Mount. He taught about every life issue you can think of. He said, all right, therefore, everything you've heard in light of everything you've heard me say today, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is in NIV, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not put them into practice. He hears these words of mine and doesn't. He's like a foolish man. Man, you're foolish, the word says. You're building your house on sand. Rain's going to come. Storms are going to come. Streams are going to rise up in your life. And the winds are going to blow and they're going to beat at you. Every wave's going to beat at you and beat you down and tear you down against your house. And if you're not founded on the word and the teachings of Jesus Christ, that house will fall with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he thought he taught as one that had authority, not like the teachers of the law. Jesus was so cool. It's like when he would preach things. Can you imagine hearing this huge message and ending it? Like, imagine me ending the message today like this. Hey, if you don't do what I preach today and put your house on the word of God and what I preach today, your life is going to come crashing down. 
see you. So he ended it. Kind of like uh, when he stood and read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach. And he preached all that and said, this day it's been fulfilled. Then he handed the book of Isaiah back to him and went and sat down. And every eye was fastened on him. Jesus kind of had a reputation of leaving people hanging like that. But he's not leaving you hanging. He ain't going to do it for you. It's time for you to do it. It's time for you to believe it. It's time for you to act on it. It's time for you to practice it. I believe that. When it comes, when struggles hit you, I want to ask you something. I, I mean, when I came in today, I heard of job loss. Since I've walked through the room today, I've heard of job loss. I have been told, Pastor, will you pray me? I lost my job. I've heard that twice, actually. It's just since I walked in today. Another person came up and said, hey, will you pray with me? Uh, some guy uh, shot his two sons, which was my good friend, shot his two sons, then shot himself, and I'm ministering to the wife. Can you help me? Will you pray with me, Pastor? Um, just, you wouldn't believe. Uh, uh, hey, I got a bill I can't pay. I've had that this morning. I mean, I mean there, there's lots of stuff. But what I want to ask you is when you are under the squeeze, what comes out? Last night and this morning, I've known for years that olive oil, olive oil is made by squeezing. You take the olive in the pit and then you beat them. The olive in the pit are beat. And then they're pressed into a paste with these great big stones that are like 10 or 8 or 10 inches around. And they're about this big around, depending on how big, but it's just crushing it. Crushing the olives, cr- crushing the pit and the olive and everything. It's a big grinding stone. And the paste, and then they take this paste, they take this paste, they take a rubber mat and lay it out in, in a circle, and then they put this paste over it. And then they put another rubber mat, and they put some more of this paste. And they put another rubber mat, and when it's done, it looks like this big hawking stack of pancakes, like I eat. Amen? A big stack. I mean, it's, it's like eight foot tall. And then there's this big press that comes on the top, and it goes... And it just presses, 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 presses. And then this, this amazing pure olive oil is pushed out. And then when it's done, they take the, what's left, the paste and all that. Guess what they do with it? They throw it in the compound. It's discarded. And they have this beautiful olive oil. What happens to you when you're squeezed? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you lose a family member? What happens when you lose a friend? What happens when you lose your highest paying client? What happens when your clients aren't paying their bills? What happens when you and your wife are fighting and you haven't slept in the same bed for months? What happens when your kids are going off the deep end? What happens when, put that picture up, please, What happens when I was down in Mexico? I I videotaped this, and I thought I was videoing it, and we got home, and Carmen said, you didn't hit video, you hit picture. But this guy told me a story. This guy told me a story, and he said, two years ago, I found out my 17-year-old and my 18-year-old had kidney failure. 
And we have no way to treat it. And there's nothing we can do about it. And he said, I went through the hardest time of my life. And I was expecting, he said, I went to church and I gave this over to the Lord. And I trusted the Lord. And we were believing for healing and and all this, that, and the other. And I was waiting to hear. And the Lord rose him up. And he said, and my oldest son died. He said he's very athletic. Had scholarships in colleges. And he died. And I had to bury him. And then my other, this guy. And then my other son is still with me. But we don't know how long. We're still believing. And he said, when this man was squeezed, he spoke with so much grace. He spoke with so much truth. He spoke with so much confidence. Yeah, he hurt. Yeah, he cried. Yeah, you could sense his pain. You knew it was there. It was real. Yes, he had some trauma that he was dealing with. But yet there was a steadfastness in his character and his grace. And I look around church on the rock. And I know pretty much what people go through. Because they tell me or other people tell me. And I see some people handle it with grace and character and strength and trust and character. And that oozes out of them. But then I see some people that are filled with doubt and fear and unbelief. And every word out of their mouth ties God's hands. And they, they're, they're angry. They're, I'm not telling you that this guy didn't have that. You think this guy didn't get angry? And say, where were you, God? You don't think he did that? Of course he did. Hey, God knows. You could, had anybody ever yelled at God? I have. He is so good to me. He holds me going through things. What happens... Are you built on the rock? Do you practice? Hey, everybody knows that knowledge isn't the issue here today. We all know. But are we practicing what we know? To that man, he's built on the house, on the rock. And his house will not fall. Jesus did this a lot of times in Scripture. This is a theme in the Bible. In Luke 8, 19 through 21. It says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, Man, I cried this morning when I read this scripture. He replied, My brothers, my mothers and brothers. You know in Hebrews, I don't remember which chapter it was. I think it's chapter 2. But the Bible says that Jehovah Makedesh, in other words, Jehovah Jesus, Hoshua, Jesus, Jehovah Makedesh, or our sanctifier, and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Therefore, we're, some people don't like to say this. In fact, I know somebody that gets irate if you, they, if you say this. Um, but Jesus is our brother. But even so, he calls us brothers and sisters later. Even right here. How many want to be a brother or a sister? 
How many want to be family? Anybody out there? How many want to be family? Jesus says, my family are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Bill, I look at you and Kelly, and I'm like, you're family. Because I believe in you guys. There's a lot of people in this church I could say that I believe in you guys. The reason I call you family is because I know you'll be there. I can trust you. I, I can, but Jesus, it, when you want to be in his family, there's a trust and a confidence that his family is going to be all right. John 13, 16 through 70, that's where Jesus was washing their feet and all this. And there, when he said that, now know these things, watch what I've done. He was teaching them how to be servants. But he said, you'll be blessed if you what? Say it loud. Do them. James chapter 1, everybody knows this one. James 1, 22 through 25. Don't just listen to God's word. You must what? Say it loud. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. You're playing games. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror. You see yourself, you see yourself, and you walk away, and you forget about it. You forget about it. But if you look carefully into God's word, his perfect law, that, man, this jumped off the pages at me today. God's perfect law that does what? Come on, say it loud. That sets you free. Come on, you're all quiet today. But if you look on the guy that could, oh, it's a different language up there. Okay, I've got it in NLT here, I think. If you look at, sorry guys, I was hollering at you for not um, um, reading with me. I, I'm, I know that was acting like a fifth grader. But let me read it. If you listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. You're looking in a mirror and you're forgetting what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, perfect law, perfect teaching, it'll set you free. If you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I believe the problem, I believe practice is what's in your heart. The problem is a divided heart. I believe there's a disconnect between what we know and believe and what we do. The things we do do something to us. Our habits, our daily routine, they reveal really what's in our heart. Are y'all with me? Out of the abundance of the heart, what do we do? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? Amen. The mouth speaks. So, So Jamie K. Smith says this in his book, You Are What You Love. We are what we want. Our wants, desires, and longings are at the core of our identity. Think about that. What we want, what we, what, we are what we want. Our wants, our desires, our longings are at the core of our identity. Listen to this. The wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow from. Our wants reverberate from our hearts the epicenter of the human person. Kind of sounds like this scripture to me. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. NLT says, guard your heart above everything else. It determines the course of life. You know what? As a track runner, I wasn't that talented. I was a big guy. When I was in high school, I ran the... Two mile in 10 minutes and 14 seconds. Seriously, I, I really did. I was a little bit thinner. 
I ran the two mile in 10 minutes and 14 seconds. We had the state record in the two mile relay of seven minutes and 41 seconds on the two mile relay. That's cooking. I was the slowest leg. And then in the, and then in the mile, um, I didn't really place in, in that, but I ran like a 442 mile. All right. When I would run, I remember one time I was running a two mile run. That's eight laps. And I remember after the first lap, I'm running, and my big body that's built like a linebacker and all these skinny winnies that are six foot tall and weigh about 110 pounds wet, and I'm sitting there about 185 pounds, 90 pounds as a a football linebacker and lineman running long distance. But you know what I had? I had grit, and I had heart. When those guys that were talented would run, they would get done and they'd be like, hey, Garfield, let's go have a hot dog with some chili and cheese. And I'd go, and I'd lay down on the ground when I was done, hyperventilating and chest hurting and feeling like I can't even move. And they're like, come on, let's go. There's girls we need to talk to. And I'm like, I can't move right now. Um, I remember one time I was running and I was about on my second lap. And this little short guy came running. He said, what are you doing out here running, big guy? He said, you're tired right now. You're you're tired right now. Big guys don't run this race. Why don't you just stop? I wanted to just mm, punch that little varmint. Amen. But but he just kept. And and, you know, that's kind of what the devil does if you think about it. You ought to quit running. You know you shouldn't be in this race. Anybody out there say amen. You know you shouldn't. You're too big. You can't win this race anyway, he'd tell me. But my heart, man, I ran with heart. That's all I had. Heart. That's all I had in football. I wasn't that. There, there were millions of people more talented than I, were, than I was. But I played with heart. I grew up a farmer where you worked hard. I did chores before I went to work. Amen? I, I grew up a farmer. I grew up that you can't be lazy, that you have to put effort forth, effort forth. Brothers and sisters, that's what I'm talking about when I say practice. I'm talking about effort. I'm talking about heart. I'm talking about passion. Even when we do spiritual gifts assessment and all that, um, we do a thing here called shape. Which is spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, style, and experiences. When, then you combine them all together and say, hey, this is what you, is your shape probably for ministry. All right, when we do that, you know what I look at? Heart. Spiritual gifts, I'm like, eh, I see those. Abilities, I'm like, oh, I see those too. Experiences, what you've been through, yeah, I see that too. You know the main line I look at? It's heart. It's passion. Because I, good, good ministers and successful businessmen and successful marriages are people that don't, you don't have to prop up all the time. That you don't have to hold their hand all the time. That you that want somebody to do it for them. That, that don't want to put any hard work to it. I'm telling you, marriage is hard work. Building a business is hard work. Planting this church was hard work. Getting free from habits, it's something you have to practice and work at. And you have to have a heart for change, a heart for transformation. 
So to me, to me, we know too much. We got plenty of books. And that's what I meant last week when I said churches are great at coming in and hearing a lecture. They're great at coming in and hearing a lecture. And we write some good notes. And we highlight our Bible. And we get inspired. And by Tuesday, it's gone. It's gone. All, all this happens. We don't, that, that's why I say that. To me, church needs to change from, some of you don't like this. Church needs to change from lecture center to dojo. Dojos. Practice. Wax on. Wax off. Talk nice to my wife. Serve my kids. Wax on. Wax off. Practice, practice, practice. Having a heart and saying, oh, not today, devil. Oh, not today. Not any day. It's going to be fine with me. There's got to be some desire and some pursuit. You know, the proof, the proof of your desire, the proof, the proof of desire is in the pursuit. The proof of desire. It's in, it's in the pursuit. It's in the pursuit. So, y'all happy today? Amen. Amen. I'm real happy. I'm real happy today. And you know, uh, I wrote down some scriptures. Um, I know one of them is Psalm 63. Another one is, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul pants after you. I know another one that I was looking at. I'm seeing part of it here. Somebody turn to uh, Psalms chapter 63. I'll see if I can find it. Here it is. Psalm 63. Hey, let me read you a good quote by Jamie K. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, again. Discipleship is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting, more than simply knowing and even, hey, even believing what you know. You, a lot of people believe the, the word. That's not even the problem. Jesus commanded us, commanded to his followers are to align our loves and our longings with his to want what God wants to desire what God desires to hunger and thirst after God and to crave a world where he is the all in all a vision encapsulated by the shorthand of the kingdom of God I think that's powerful to me that says let my heart burn for God let my heart want what he wants let my passion be his passion. Let my movements be his man, movements. As a deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants after the Lord. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul, it thirsts for you. I thirst for truth. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land. Doesn't seem like there's any water here. I've seen you in the sanctuary. How many seen his hand? How many seen his power? I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. I will praise you. 
I will praise you as long as I live. And and I want to ask you that are on the squeeze, are you praising him? It says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And don't look at me saying, don't, don't even, seriously, don't even give me the, you don't know, pastor line. Don't even. If you want to give that to me, then try it on Jesus, because he says there's no temptation and there's nothing you've gone through that he hadn't went through. So we got to get past saying, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. I I feel that. The minute I said that, I felt that word thrown right back at me. Shut up, pastor. That's what I was hearing. Shut up. You don't know. But see, that's your pain talking. That's your pain talking. That's your hurt talking. And it's okay to throw that out. If, if. I'm hurting here. I don't understand this. I've done everything you said. God, Where are you? I'm okay with that. If you say, I may not know where you are, but I trust you. I may not know, I may not know the way, but you are the way, the truth, the life. I may not have any strength, but you are the strength of my life. I may not, I may not, but you've got to replace it with what he is. And I'll tell you, you won't. There is nothing harder than when I had to sit across from a table and tell somebody that had been molested at a young age to say, I know you've been molested. We need to move forward. But that's what God was telling me to say. And you know what? God used me to set that person free. Because you can't sit and wallow in the past. God can heal every hurt. He can not only heal every hurt, He can get rid of it. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that God can not only forgive us of our sin, but He can get rid of an evil conscience. He can even get rid of the the, the memories that hurt. He, He can get rid of it. He can dispose of it. He's a powerful God. But it takes practice on our part. Practice. Discipline of practice. If you're trying to get over a habit like alcoholism or or pornography or um, drugs legal or drugs that aren't legal, anything that's a flesh issue, the spiritual discipline you need to practice is fasting. Fasting is powerful. Spiritual disciplines are like prayer. The spiritual disciplines of Jesus, are the teachings are like prayer. They're silence and solitude. They're keeping the Sabbath. Some, some of you that are run ragged and you're irritable and you're angry all the time and you're wore out and you lack vision and motivation for, for work, the spiritual discipline you need to practice is the Sabbath. Because even God took a break every week. And people aren't taking breaks how do you spend your sabbath do you even have a sabbath if you have a habit let me prescribe unto you fasting let me prescribe unto you um, prayer a discipline of prayer and don't look at me like uh prayer are you doing prayer are you doing prayer we know prayer are you doing prayer is anybody out there saying amen to me this is discipleship This is telling the truth to people in love. 
that can help people walk in a victory that Christ wants them to walk in. So practicing the way of Jesus, what it does is it reshapes the heart. What you do is shaping you. And when you practice the disciplines of Jesus, then you're reshaping your heart. Because of time, I want to say, I want to hit this point too. I cried out to God, did I finish that scripture? I don't think I did. Um, I will praise you as long as I live. You that are going through hard times, write write down Habakkuk chapter 3. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Although there be no fruit on the vine. Although the olive shall not cast its yield. Although there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, everything that could go wrong to this people went wrong. Although, 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 although. How many of you have although, 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 although? It says although, although, although. And it says this. Yet, yet, I will praise him. And then he said, the writer said, call the instruments together. Call the band together. Call the worship leaders together. We're going to praise the Lord. There's all kinds of scripture how praise liberates. Think about when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. What did they do? Is anybody here in a fiery furnace? What did they do? They praised the Lord. That furnace was so hot that the guards that threw them in died. They praised the Lord. And then the king looked in there and he said, didn't we throw three people in? There's a fourth one in there, and it looks like the Son of God. And these people that were bound up, he said, did we not throw them in bound in their hands and feet? Aren't they dancing in that fire and praising the Lord? And then they came out of that fire with not even the stench of smoke on them. Praise. It's a discipline. How many feel like praising the Lord all the time? I don't. I don't. How many of you feel like praising God when you just heard the worst report? How many of you feel like there's very few days, if you want to be honest, that I jump out of the bed and go, oh boy, it's time to go pray. Usually my flesh doesn't want to pray and I have to beat it, beat it, beat it, kick it, tell it it's going to do it. And most people just give up and don't even do it. Why? No heart. There has to be heart. Heart is what pushes the practice of it. You can know it till Jesus comes, but you're going to practice it when you have a heart to do it. When you have the heart to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Don't you realize? I got to say this. I keep going to that scripture. But before I hit that last point, I wrote this in today. I want to be exclusively his. And the song sang it. I was blown away by the song selection today, by the way. Blown away. It was incredible worship. Thank you, worship team. I don't want to share my heart with anything. I don't want him to be bumped. I heard that in my spirit today. I don't want him to be bumped. Bumped, 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 bumped to where God's clear down here in my life. I want him to be first and foremost. I want to practice God first living. 
even the smallest things is I, I refuse to look at my phone when I get out of bed. I refuse to look at an email. Even as simple as that practice. I refuse to look at an email. I refuse to see if anybody's called me. I refuse to look at a text. I refuse to do that. Because the first thing that my eyes are going to see and the first thing my ears are going to hear and the first thing that my body's going to do after I get the cup of coffee <laughs> is go out and give God the first of my day. Some of you, if you just practice 15 minutes of putting God first, putting God first, putting God first in. Okay, my granny who's dead and with the Lord now. My granny, when I was in high school, I, my first job I had inside, I was a farmer. Working inside, I was like, what? Inside? I, I was a farmer. I was like, sissies work inside. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, that, I, forgive me for that. You guys got to practice forgiveness. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. All right? <laughs> but anyway, I was a pizza guy. And I did have fun with it. We'd throw it up in the air. One day we got busy. We, we got busy and the tickets were lining up. And man, I could make a pizza fast. And, and the pizza was lining up and, and the people were filling and we was getting them in the ovens. And I was ahead of the ovens and the pizzas were waiting to go in the ovens and I was moving. But Granny, hi Granny, nice to see you. Oh, hi, hi Brian. Hi Granny, I can't talk right now. I'm making some pizza. Okay, okay. You know how that is. Granny comes in the pizza. And anyway, she's looking through the window. Hi, all that stuff. And I'm making pizzas. Anyway, when I, when I saw Granny's ticket, I'd say, I'm busy. And I'd bump her. Whoo, I'm overloaded. And I'd bump it. Man, Granny, I have to wait. We're busy here. We got, st we got stuff to do. And I kept bumping her. So Granny came and looked in the window and she said, Come here. <laughs> I've been here an hour and 10 minutes. Where's my pizza? I said, Granny, I'm busy back here. I, I got, I'm busy. Can't you see it's busy? And she said, how long does a pizza take to cook? And I said, well, about 12 minutes. I'll make it in about 12 minutes. I want my pizza in 12 minutes. And she turned around and walked off. That stayed with me forever. Because I feel myself bumping Jesus. Bump. Well, I'm busy. Bump. You don't know what I got to do here, Lord. Bump, bump, bump. We bump him down. I want him to be exclusively his. As the musicians come, we need to practice and pursue. We just finished up the Winter Olympics. I, I'm, I don't get into the Winter Olympics as much as summer, but we looked at them some. But do you realize that in a race, Paul said, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? Unless you grew up in the 2000s, where everybody gets a trophy. So, run to win. All athletes. Notice I didn't say millennials. I hate it when pastors make millennial cracks. And I'm like, why are you picking on them guys? We all do that. I, I, I hate millennial cracks, where everybody puts millennials down. So, I love millennials. Millennials, I love you. Stuff people put on you, we probably did it to you, and you're having to suffer our ignorance because we weren't practicing Jesus' teachings. 
over stories we believed. I'll never forget when the lady drug in her son that was kicking and screaming and kicking her in the shins and spitting her in their face and saying, I hate you, mommy, into my office. And she says, Pastor, I don't know what we've done wrong. Because she believes some harebrained professor that said if you, if you discipline your child that you're going to hurt their IQ. I have a t-shirt I should have wore today that says I survived the wooden spoon and I'm proud of it. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will, won't fade away. It's an eternal ride. So run with purpose. Every step. Don't shadow box. Discipline your body. Beat it into, beat it into shape. Train it to do what it should do. Otherwise, I fear that after I preach, I'm not going to make it. Every athlete is strict on their self. Disciplined. Guys, I'm serious. About 90% of this church needs a good fast. Seriously, I need it. Fasting disciplines your flesh. It knocks it around when it, your belly growls and says, I'm hungry. You smack it and say, you're not getting any food. And here's what happens is you smack your craving for food for about four days. And what you notice is the pornography you crave and the attitude that you crave and the disposition you have. It dies too. And your spirit's able to beat that thing in submission. Hey, don't question it. God says, God didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. He didn't say if you pray. He said what? When you pray. He didn't say if you give. He said what? When you give. Okay? Amen. What I'm working on right now, here, I wanna, here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. Can you turn that guitar up? Thank you, Lord. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to take an inventory, either now or this week. How many have ever done that with food where you think, you're thinking, why am I so fat? And then you write down what you've been eating and you're like, I know why I'm so fat, man. Take an inventory of, of your habits and your routine. Things like, how do you wake up in the morning? I told you how I do. How do you approach your day of work? What is your relationship and time spent on the mo- social media? How much are you on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? What's the time spent on phone and emails and texting? What's your night routine look? How do you spend, how do you spend when you have free time? How do you spend your weekend? Do you practice the Sabbath? Remember what we do on a regular basis is what you become. You are what you're committed to. So I'd like you to take an inventory. You are what you, we are the cumulative effect of our daily and weekly routine. What you do today, I heard this several years back. I don't remember where I heard it. But I heard this, what you do today. I think I heard it in the last year somewhere. I didn't come up with this. What you do today is who or what you'll be tomorrow, next week, next month, and a year from now. Everybody's saying, oh, what's my vision for the next year? Do it today. What you do today is what you're going to be. Make your, what are you going to be in a year from now? 
Do it now. Align your hearts with the Word of God. Be intentional. Here's what mine is. I want to share a little bit. Mine is this. Is since the fast that we started, the 21-day fast, Carmen and I have kept not sitting and watching Netflix every night. Not sitting and, and thinking we've worked hard all day. We need to just lounge out in the chair and eat. We're not doing that. We stopped that in the fast. And we either go get in the Word, a spiritual discipline. What you do is you look at your habit or your routine and you replace that with a spiritual gift. Discipline. I get in my word more. I get in. Uh, I get in, in into prayer a little bit more. Okay. Or here, it don't have to be something like that. Here's the other thing. Carmen and I play cards. It's a great time to bond. Great time to talk. We play cards. Here's another thing we do. Is we invite people to the house, or we go to people's house, because I believe what I'm preaching to you that Christians need community go go spend go go to somebody's house go do something with somebody go out to eat with somebody in church okay and the other thing i'm doing is this somebody came up and told me they said i figured out why i never have opened up to people i figured out why i've never like had a best friend or somebody I hung out, hung out with all the time. And I text and call on the phone. I figured out why I've kind of been a loner. I said, oh yeah? What'd you, well, what is it? And this person told me. They said, because whenever I notice that people aren't interested in me. And they're not listening to what I'm saying. I stop talking. And I, me, me and my wife heard that. And we went through the church. This church. And we started thinking about people that when we talk to them, that we can tell they're truly interested, that they truly care, that they truly are behind you and know what you're into. And I hate to say it, but that can be a small list because everybody is like, they can't wait till you get through talking so they can tell you about themselves. So one thing I'm trying, how many think that it would be a a good practice, probably biblical, I mean, I can find scriptures on it, that I listen intently to people and I'm interested in what they're saying. How many think that'd be a good thing to practice? Because I think growing a church and reaching our community isn't going to come from me standing and preaching from a pulpit. I think it's going to come when our church enters into the spiritual formation to where we're doing teaching, we're practicing, and we're living in community. Next week, I'm going to preach on community and what it means to live in community. When we truly live in community, we're going to, they're going to be, be one to the Lord before you even come to church. Anybody out there say amen. amen. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet today. Guys, I'm 23 minutes over, and I told my buddy Myron today, that I try to preach about 30 or 40 minutes. But you know what? I just don't care today. I really believe that what was preached needs to be heard today. How many said I hear the word today? And I received the word today. Amen.
For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.